Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. And welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are you? It's time for the tech news for Tuesday, April 11th, 2023. And we've got a ton of news to cover today with a big chunk dedicated to Twitter. It's been a while, as Stained once said, since I drag Twitter over the coals, but we've got a whole bunch of Twitter news. But first, I wanted to talk about an intelligence leak in the United States, which kind of leads itself to all sorts of snarky jokes. But no, this is about top secret documents that have been leaked. And apparently this is a thing that's been going on since at least January. And you may have heard that images of top secret documents, some of them apparently edited, have escaped out into the world and they're causing some real problems. Among them, uh, Ukraine reportedly had to change some of its strategy with regard to Russia's ongoing war with Ukraine and Russia expressing how upset they are that the West and NATO have been supporting Ukraine, which seems like a really poorly kept secret in the first place, but whatever. But the tech side of this is really what I want to focus on. Because these documents weren't submitted to WikiLeaks or anything like that. They appear to have initially emerged on a Discord server. Now, y'all may know that the original concept behind Discord was to act as a means of communication, primarily voice chat, for gamers. Because in-game voice systems are frequently not very good. But obviously, Discord has grown beyond the gaming community. And apparently, in a Discord server that appeared to at least partly be dedicated to a YouTube figure from the Philippines, someone started sharing top secret documents. Who that person is and how they got access to the documents and why they felt the need to share them is unknown, at least to me. Though there's speculation that it might have been a low-level official who had access to such documents through their job 
and also was a member of this particular server. Anyway, the leaks expanded beyond that one Discord server, which has since been deleted. Uh, There were new leaks that surfaced in a Discord server that was dedicated to Minecraft, of all things. And then it spread to other platforms like 4chan. Now, obviously, this is a huge concern to the U.S. government. It could potentially be a threat to national security. So the Department of Justice and the Department of Defense are really interested to learn more about the source of that leak. Now, clearly, the fault does not lie with the platforms themselves. Rather, it it lies with whomever was responsible for posting images of the documents in the first place. You can read more about this story in the New York Times, and Eric Toller has a great article on Bellingcat, and it's titled From Discord to 4chan, The Improbable Journey of a U.S. Intelligence Leak. So I highly recommend checking that out if you want to learn more, and I'm sure we'll continue to cover it as the story develops. Okay, now I've got a whole suite of Twitter updates to deliver. My guess is they'll take up the bulk of this episode. And before I really jump into it, I have to give a shout out to Casey Newton's newsletter called Platformer, which grouped together a ton of these resources. Now, I've talked about Casey's work on this show before, and he continues to do an amazing job. Platformer is well worth the subscription. It is a newsletter you subscribe to. It's a paid subscription, and I do not personally know Casey. I have no connection to him, and I also don't have any connection to Platformer other than the fact that I'm a subscriber myself. I'm just saying that if you're really into tech news and like a deep dive into it, it's a good resource. Anyway, Casey gives his opinion on Twitter, and he thinks that we might be seeing sort of the middle of the end For Twitter, you could argue the beginning of the end was even before Elon Musk made his move to acquire it. But Elon is certainly a big part of why Casey feels that the platform could potentially be heading to an ignominious end, mostly due to Musk's tendency to make mercurial changes to the platform and then frequently reverse those changes after facing harsh criticism. And then the platform itself seems to be failing with various functions and features. So let's cover some of the stories about Twitter and how that $44 billion investment is going. First up is a story that Casey actually didn't cover in the most recent platformer, as I believe the news broke after he had already sent that newsletter out to be published. And that's the fact that Twitter Incorporated doesn't exist anymore. So Twitter, the service, still exists but the company doesn't because some court documents revealed that on the corporate backend, another one of Musk's companies, Xcore, has absorbed Twitter Incorporated. This is according to Natish Pawa and Mark Joseph Stern, who jointly published a piece in Slate yesterday afternoon. And here's how the whole story unfolded. A woman named Laura Loomer, who's known for her right-wing politics and uh, social presence, sued Twitter for banning her account a few years ago. She claims that this is an abuse of racketeering laws. The Slate authors say that, in their opinion, her case has no merit. And based upon just the very surface-level glance I got, uh, I am inclined to agree with them. This seems like a, 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 a case that really has no teeth to it. But one thing that the case does is it requires Twitter to disclose corporate disclosure statements to the court. And then by looking at court filings, you can actually see those. And one of those statements revealed the fact that the Twitter company doesn't exist anymore. But anyway, even though Twitter is now part of XCorp, the lawsuit still remains viable. It just transfers to XCorp instead of Twitter Incorporated. And you could argue that the corporate move really doesn't change anything other than the name of the company that's running Twitter the service. All the debt, all the lawsuits, all of the troubles still exist. They just transfer to this other entity. Apple Insider further goes on to suggest that perhaps this move is another sign that Musk intends for Twitter to become an everything app that Twitter will eventually become X. 
And this app will support all sorts of transactions beyond just posting about lunch and alienating advertisers. Be handling stuff like shopping and and payment transfers and all this other kind of stuff. So Twitter Incorporated is dead. All hail X Corp, I guess. Let's cover one of the things that's going wrong at Twitter over the last week or so. So according to TechCrunch, several users have reported seeing Twitter circle messages popping up in the For You tab on Twitter. And you might be wondering what all that means, uh, because I sure was, which just shows you how out of the loop I've been with Twitter in general. So a Twitter circle is like a group of close friends or trusted acquaintances. Twitter circles are meant to allow you to post to smaller, more private groups of people. The messages are not meant to go out to Twitter's general population. And yet apparently some Twitter circle messages have done just that. So if you were browsing the for you tab in Twitter, you might actually see some messages that you weren't ever meant to see. And you could imagine how that could be a big problem. I mean, if the same thing were to happen to direct messages, all sorts of shenanigans could follow. TechCrunch's Amanda Silberling points out that getting a response from Twitter is pretty much impossible because Elon Musk famously set the PR email address to auto-reply to requests by sending a poop emoji. Because that's professional and mature. Oh, and just assume for all the Twitter stories I'm talking about today, that at some point within that story, the author pointed out that it's impossible to get an official response from Twitter that isn't a poop emoji. Because trust me, almost every story I read while writing this includes that, uh, let's call it nugget of information. Some former Twitter executives, including the former CEO of the company, are now suing Twitter, or rather... X-Core now, I guess, because they have been saddled with legal fees that I guess the company should have covered. This includes legal fees for various government investigations into Twitter that were leading up to Musk's purchase of the company, which, as I'm sure you all remember, was in itself a total chaotic mess filled with legal wrangling. Anyway, it should come as no surprise that Twitter slash X-Core has not paid these legal fees because, well, the company pretty much stopped paying all of its bills. It stopped paying for rent for the office space. It stopped paying for contract work. It stopped paying for janitorial staff, etc. And uh, heck, we also know the company laid off or drove away about 75% of its workforce since late last year. And according to this lawsuit, the company is contractually bound to pay these legal fees for former executives. These are the executives that Elon Musk famously fired the day he took possession of the company. So this matter has now gone to court, and we'll see how long it sits there while Twitter continues to not pay the bills. All right, so now let's talk about a couple of instances where Elon Musk instituted a change and then, upon receiving backlash, reversed or at least altered that change. And first up is how Musk handled NPR. So for those who don't know, NPR, National Public Radio, is a media outlet here in the United States. So late last week, Twitter appended the label state-affiliated media to the NPR Twitter account, which I think is a pretty blatant attack on NPR's reputation. The phrase state-affiliated Media typically refers to a media outlet that is under the direct control of a government, often with the implication that the media outlet is biased and the government in question is to at least some degree authoritarian. Think about China and its state-sponsored media outlets. NPR's Bobby Allen was not about to let this go, and so Allen challenged Musk, pointing out that the U.S. government has no control over the content or editorial voice of NPR, and Musk really had nowhere to go on that. He could not disagree with the statement. So instead, he just had Twitter change the label so that it then read that NPR is quote-unquote government-funded, which, while less of an outright lie, is still not entirely accurate. 
NPR receives only about 1% of its funding directly from the government. The rest comes from lots of other sources, including listeners like you, as NPR often includes in their messages. Receiving a single percent of funding from the government doesn't sound like the term government-funded should really apply to NPR. And Alan pointed out, again, that one of Musk's other companies, Tesla, has received literally billions of dollars in government subsidies. And yet the Tesla Twitter account does not include the government-funded label, when it seems like, considering the amount of money that company has received in the form of subsidies and such, it certainly should, if we're being fair about labels. So I think it's pretty clear that Musk's intent was to try and discredit or dismiss NPR because, well, the organization has this irritating habit of calling Musk out on his own BS. Okay, I've got a lot more stories, including more Twitter ones. But first, let's take a quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. 
Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. We're back, and we're back with a couple more Twitter news items. Uh, Next, we have the Substack Brouhaha. Brouhaha? Ha ha ha. Shout out to any Firesign Theater fans out there. Anyway, so Substack is a platform that lets people create and monetize subscription newsletters. So Platformer, the Casey Newton newsletter that I mentioned at the beginning of all this Twitter mess, is actually built on top of Substack. Casey Newton builds Platformer using Substack. Well, one thing that Substack is working on is a product called Notes, which works a bit like, yeah, you guessed it, it works a bit like Twitter does. And it at least appears that Musk isn't very fond of such potential competition, though you could argue that some of the problems that popped up, maybe those were coincidental. Maybe those problems were more evidence that Twitter itself is breaking as opposed to an outright decision to try and penalize Substack. For one thing, the ability to embed tweets into a post on Substack appeared to be broken. In fact, if you were to try and embed a tweet in a Substack entry at that time, you would get the message, quote, Twitter has unexpectedly restricted access to embedding tweets in Substack posts, end quote. I'm not sure how unexpected it was on Twitter's side, honestly. Anyway, on top of that, it seemed that Twitter was restricting visibility and the promotion of tweets that contained links to posts on Substack. And users who tried to like or retweet a post that linked to Substack itself also received error messages. So it seemed like Musk was trying to pull a similar tactic that he used to head off people jumping ship from Twitter to Mastodon a few months back. You might remember he began banning links to Mastodon and some other platforms saying that, uh, well, saying all sorts of things to justify the decision, none of which really held much water. Anyway, after numerous folks raised a stink about Twitter's new direction with Substack, the service appeared to do a 180. So links are now working again. And it just seems like Musk has backed down a little bit on his stance on how to handle this. But um, yeah, I mean, considering his history, it's again, not exactly shocking. Moving right along, Politico's Jessica Piper reports that Twitter has failed to disclose political ads, despite the service outlining a transparency policy saying it would do that. So Twitter, according to its own rules, is supposed to label posts that are part of a paid political campaign so that you can see as a user that the post is a paid political advertisement. But it turns out that several ads that were running on Twitter in March, you know, just last month, uh, were not labeled that way, even though they were clearly actual paid for campaign ads. Uh, and so... I'm not sure exactly what's happening here. It turns out that you know Politico asked Twitter to comment on this and Twitter sent over a spreadsheet that's supposed to track these things, like supposed to track all the instances of paid political ads. And they failed to include at least three instances of different campaigns running ads on the platform. So to me, that suggests that Twitter's own internal systems may be failing here. That, you know, maybe it's a case of the right hand being unaware of what the left hand is doing, because obviously someone had to sell that ad space, right? That had to be an actual transaction that happened on Twitter's end. But somehow that data didn't make it to the proper place for disclosure. It didn't make it into this spreadsheet, and therefore the tweets were never labeled. Now, to be clear... There's not necessarily a law that's been broken here. This is Twitter failing to live up to its own policies. But it is important for citizens to be able to detect and track things like political ads and political spending. For one thing, 
knowing that something's an ad helps you separate it from being say, uh, the you know an unbiased news source or even a purported unbiased news source if it says ad on there you know all right well this is this is a message that has a specific agenda otherwise it wouldn't be an ad or another it helps different groups keep tabs on campaigns and campaign spending as well as the activities of not-for-profit organizations that may not be subject to really strict campaign laws actually using the term really strict is being far too generous in the United States, but campaign laws really, it all comes down to tracking money and using that info to determine whom you can trust. And it all gets really cynical from that point forward. Honestly, I, I, I feel like this is an indication that systems within Twitter are not working as intended rather than a potential indication that the company is actively trying to hide that some political tweets are in fact paid advertising. I don't think Twitter was trying to get one over on users. I just feel like this was a failure. So this feels more like a case where it's incompetence rather than malevolence. That just is how it feels to me. I admit, you know, I could be totally wrong about that, but it doesn't, I don't see where the gain is for Twitter to not be transparent about this stuff. So I think to me, uh, this feels like an indication that things at Twitter are breaking and Twitter no longer has the engineering staff on hand to uh, prevent or repair that stuff in a timely fashion. Something else that happened on Twitter last week was several Kremlin-related Twitter accounts, including Vladimir Putin's presidential account, became reinstated on the service. So last year, last April, Twitter chose to restrict the promotion and reach of Russian state media accounts and Kremlin-linked accounts in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Obviously, Russia was leaning heavily on social platforms to spread propaganda and misinformation. But the Telegraph reports that those restrictions seem to no longer be in place, and that when searching for certain topics, the Kremlin-linked accounts were frequently in the results, sometimes at the tippy-top of search results. And the Telegraph also reported that they created a brand new Twitter account, they didn't have it following anyone in particular. And they noticed that when they went to the For You tab, the, the curated tab to check and see what accounts were showing up there, some of the Kremlin linked accounts were showing up in the For You tab, even though this brand new account had not followed any of those. So, hey, apparently Musk thinks NPR should not be trusted, but actual state backed accounts from Russia and also from China, are A-OK. Agree, Twitter sounds more and more like a dystopian nightmare to me. Uh, by the way, if you want to suggest topics, you can use Twitter and send a message to techstuffhsw. Though I think I need to come up with an alternative for getting in touch with me. And wrapping up the Twitter section of our news, finally is a report that Twitter appears to have acquiesced to the government of India's demands that objectionable messages, that is, messages that the government of India objects to, should be suppressed not just in India, but around the entire world. And if this is true, then it means that Twitter is actually censoring itself globally at the direction of the government of India. Uh, you know, typically in the past, when Twitter would agree to government demands in India, they would suppress a message, but it would just be within India itself. If you are outside of India, you could still see the tweets in question. But apparently, journalist and activist Saurav Das posted some messages, and when they went back to look over their Twitter history, saw that the tweets had been tagged with the phrase that the content was, quote, withheld in worldwide in response to a legal demand, end quote. So Dawes included screenshots of these tweets, which were made in 2022. And they said that they couldn't remember the context of those messages or why they would be suppressed worldwide. A website, thehindu.com, attempted to use a virtual private network or VPN to see if those suppressed tweets could be viewed in the United States. Because again, typically these sort of suppressions only would happen within India itself. 
But the Hindu discovered that even if they were looking at Twitter from a United States server, they would not be able to see those messages, which is a pretty huge deal, particularly for a company led by someone who proclaimed to be all about free speech. You know, it just gets worse and worse. But thankfully, we are done with Twitter. So when we come back from this break, we will move on to something else. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. When your child fights sleep, it can feel like a battle you'll never win. Imagine a bedtime routine you all look forward to, where you cuddle in and let the stress of the day melt away. Welcome to Sleep Tight Stories. A calming weekly podcast that brings bedtime stories, cuddles, and comfort to families worldwide. The stories are quirky, relatable, and spark wonder without overstimulation, so listeners can fall asleep and stay asleep. Each episode is narrated by me, Cheryl McLeod, a second grade teacher, and written by my husband Clark, an eternal second grader at heart. Tune in tonight and bond over a story before drifting off to sleep. Make bedtime the sweetest part of your day. Sleep Tight Stories. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we're back, and we're moving on to something else, and that something else is... Tesla. Son of a... All right, let's get through this, and then we'll get on to something else. All right, so last week, Reuters reported that from 2019 through mid-2022 and possibly beyond, some folks in Tesla, including management, would occasionally pull images, 
captured by Tesla car cameras. Remember, Tesla has used optical systems, in fact, to the point where they've started to remove things like ultrasonic systems and just rely on optical systems for the purposes of collision detection, navigation, that kind of stuff. Well, these cameras can also work as part of the security system. When you're charging your vehicle, those cameras can be active. And it turns out that Tesla employees were sometimes just peeking in on what these camera systems were able to see, uh, whether the car was in operation or was in recharge mode. And then they were sharing images and videos captured by those cameras. So it's as if these Tesla employees had implanted cameras in the homes of Tesla customers, essentially. And this includes stuff that clearly the owners of those Tesla vehicles would not want to share with the outside world. Now, some of the photos were fairly mundane, like it might be a funny road sign. So someone, for some reason in Tesla, started to look at the video feed created by this particular person's car and see a funny road sign, and they might clip that and share it with other people. It still raises the question, why did they access the video feed in the first place? And also, there must be policies at Tesla that say you don't do this, right? You don't take images from someone's vehicle and just share it within the company. Apparently, a lot of the messages included, hey, don't share this, or don't talk about this, or delete after you see it. And it was just people who just thought it was such a good picture or video or funny idea that they had to share it. But no one else should do that because you'll get in trouble. So some of the stuff that was being captured was not just simple, funny road signs or, you know, a pet behaving in a goofy way. Uh, There were cases of people being, say, in their garage, stark naked, which, you know, I have no clue why they were in their garage and they were naked, but uh, I don't have any business knowing that it's none of my business. And I'm pretty sure that the owner in question wasn't thinking that they were at risk at being in a candid camera like situation at the time. Anyway, I think the whole sending photos and videos around is a, a, an incredibly deep violation of trust. And again, it has to be violating some Tesla policies. So now there is a class action lawsuit that's been brought against Tesla about this very issue to hold the organization accountable for this behavior and to force a change. Now I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more about this as the case continues. It would shock me if Tesla does not settle out of court. I am certain that that's going to be the ultimate end of this because I don't think the company has a leg to stand on. Even if they argue that this is the behavior of a few outlying bad apples, it appears that it was, widespread enough to really be an issue within the company. And ultimately the company does have to be held accountable. And plus Tesla, you know, the, where, where this particular lawsuit is being filed, uh, the state of California, Tesla is not a big um, hero in the state of California right now among the government. And also the state of California has some really tough privacy laws some of the toughest in the United States. So I suspect that Tesla is going to be trying to negotiate some sort of settlement uh, and then potentially create a policy where people who do this will face some heavy consequences for behaving in this way in the future, or one can hope anyway. Now, I do have some other news to talk about that is not Twitter or Tesla related. So while this episode is longer than I had hoped it would be. I'm going to kind of summarize some of the next few news items. So first up, there's a growing movement in the U.S. government to look into ways to deal with the evolution and proliferation of AI, largely brought on by concerns about chat GPT in particular. Now, I think I'm going to have to dedicate an entire episode to this topic because I think it's actually incredibly complicated and it requires a lot more thought and analysis than I could ever deliver in a news episode. So be on the lookout for that in the future. I'll just say that while the recent emergence of tools like chat GPT creates concerns, legitimate concerns, the matter of AI is far more broad than a chat bot built on a large language model. And so we really need to have a full discussion. Also, I have very little hope that the government will come up with anything really 
meaningful or useful on this topic, not because I have a total lack of faith in government. I do not. I have faith in government. It's that a lot of the people who are in government positions don't understand AI on a level that would make it useful. So uh, my guess is that any legislation or regulation that was created would be painted with a very broad brush and not be as effective as it needs to be because of a lack of understanding among government officials. But again, I'll have to do a full episode about this to really dive into it. Also, I want to recommend an amazing article written by Benj Edwards. That's B-E-N-J Edwards. And this is at Ars Technica. So if you go to Ars Technica, you should look up why chat GPT and Bing chat are so good at making things up. So this article is really great at explaining how chat GPT works at a very high level and how that basic mode of operation results in stuff that you can't always trust. Now, I have frequently said that one of the problems you have is that chatbots like chat GPT don't necessarily know the difference between a good source of information and a bad source of information. And that is part of it. But Edwards points out that it actually goes beyond this. It's a little more complicated than that. And the explanation is fantastic. The argument is very well done. So definitely check out that article, why chat GPT and Bing chat are so good at making things up. Uh, I'll probably have to do a full episode about that as well and talk about the phenomena of chatbot quote unquote hallucinations. Now a quick note about Meta's verification process. So Meta rolled out this a few weeks ago. Of course, Meta is the parent company to Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp. And this new policy allows users to pay for verification. So they have to not just pay a fee to do this. They also have to submit information about themselves to prove to Meta that they are who they claim to be. And if their qualifications meet meta standards and the payment goes through, they get a little check next to their name showing that they are verified. And this ends up being uh, one, a social status thing, but two verified accounts get access to some other perks, including better customer service and also some stuff that I think should just be freaking standard for everyone on meta's platforms. I mean, you know, one of those things is like being protected against impersonators. And if I'm told, hey, if you pay us, we'll help make sure that folks pretending to be you are stopped. That's that's a message that screams to me that I don't want to be on that platform if users have to pay to receive that kind of baseline protection or what I think should be baseline protection. Like to me, that's that's something that should just go without saying And it shouldn't be a, oh, well, you know, if you pay, then we'll we'll take care of you. But you know me, I'm a grouch. Anyway, TechCrunch reports that a big issue among some of Meta's users is that as part of the system, the company is requiring users to use their real names as their username in their profiles, that the name of their profile has to reflect their actual legal name. And that can be a real problem for folks in, say, the sex work industry or the trans community. These are people who may use names that are not their actual legal name as their public persona. And as some have said, this is like the company is asking you to pay it $15 and in return, it will dox you. Now you might remember that Google went through a very similar thing a few years ago when Google tried to align its former social platform of Google plus with YouTube and other Google products. As part of that, Google was requiring people to use their legal name. And the thought process behind it was stuff like, oh, if people are using their legal names, especially on YouTube, then that's going to cut back on abuse because people will feel that they're being accountable, right? Because they're no longer hiding behind a username. That's their real name. But Google also faced the same sort of objections. People said, Having to use our legal names sometimes puts us at danger, depending upon who we are and what we do. And ultimately, Google backed off of that policy. But so far, we haven't seen Meta budge. And while I understand the need to verify with Meta that you are who you say you are, I mean, that's the whole purpose of verification in the first place. 
I don't actually see how that should pertain to the username itself, particularly if people know you better by like a stage name or something. So yeah, I don't see where that part needs to come in. The only thing I under I see is that to get that verification check, you have to verify with the company who you are, but then that information should remain secure and not have to be publicly disclosed. Oh, and uh, Hey, a couple more quick things. You know, those public charging USB stations you can find in some places like an actual little USB port. You can plug your cable in and then charge your phone like at airports or certain hotels or sometimes cafes. Well, the FBI says you shouldn't use those, which honestly makes sense. So apparently some hackers have compromised some of these stations and they're using them to inject malware into stuff like phones and tablets. So the malware might do your typical identification theft stuff of logging passwords and usernames. Maybe it even does stuff where it can access things like your microphone and your camera. And that is a pretty darn steep trade-off for getting a few more minutes of battery life. So rather than use those ports, the FBI recommends that you use an actual like wall outlet and a plug that plugs into the outlet and then, you know, the cable to your device. Don't just plug a USB cord into a USB jack and then hook up your phone, which is fun times. Anyway, this advice is good advice. It's healthy to think about those public charging stations being similar to a USB drive that's been left on the floor. You wouldn't want to pick up that USB drive and just plug it into whatever device you happen to own because you're just you're you're playing roulette, Russian roulette that that USB device doesn't have malware that's immediately going to install itself on your device. You got to use that same sort of of thought process when you're talking about USB charging stations. Finally, YouTube continues to add support for podcasts. There's now a podcast tab on channels. So when you go into channels, you'll see things like videos and playlists and stuff like that. Well, podcast is a new tab that's going to be appearing on channel pages. So this way creators can classify videos as podcast episodes and use the podcast tabs, which can really help with discovery. If someone is interested in looking up a specific episode uh, and they don't want to filter through all the different videos on a channel, then it makes it a lot easier. I think that's pretty darn cool. I know there are quite a few podcasts out there that release part or all of episodes as video on YouTube. Uh, I think some of my colleagues are looking into doing something along those lines. And I think that's super awesome. Uh, I don't think I'm going to jump on that wagon myself, but only because tech stuff is most of the time a solo show. And I just can't imagine that any of you out there would be interested in just seeing me talk to a microphone by myself for 40 minutes or whatever. I just don't see how that would be at all appealing to you. So I don't think I'm ever going to be using this particular uh, feature unless, you know, I get a co-host or something. So for multi-host shows, I think this is great. By the way, I'm also of the opinion that podcasters should try to get on all platforms in order to reach their audience. Like you shouldn't be platform specific. You should try and be on all of them if you can, unless you're a superstar who can put their podcast behind a paywall and folks will still flock to you. But, you know, for the rest of us, I think making your show as accessible as po- as possible is a great strategy. Uh, you're going to find a lot more listeners that way. And, um, and you're not going to prevent people from finding you, which is really good. So, yeah, I think, uh, this is a good thing overall. Again, I don't have my show on YouTube. I don't have any connection to YouTube. <laughs> I just think that this is, this is a cool thing for people who do like to consume podcasts through YouTube. I occasionally will look up clips from podcasts I subscribe to on YouTube. Like I'll, I'll watch a clip of, of a recording. Uh, but typically I listen to podcasts just in audio form. I don't, I don't tend to do that on YouTube exclusively. I, I usually rely on my phone, but sometimes shows that I like will also upload video clips. And I, I like to watch those just to see the people that I listen to actually go through the reactions they have. Uh, Mabem Bam, my brother, my brother and me does this with little clips from their shows. And I always enjoy that because they tend to be pretty entertaining, but yeah, I think it's cool. 
I, I love to see more support for podcasts across the board. And that wraps up this news episode. Lots of Twitter stuff in there, but like I said, it's been a while since I had really covered it and a ton of information had come out over the last week. So I kind of wanted to barrel through it. Hopefully on Thursday, we won't have nearly as much to say about that. and We can look at other news in the tech space. In the meantime, I hope you are all well and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. It's brand new, season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, Sleep Tight Stories.